Ion 2020 episode 289. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion 2020. Appreciate you joining me for another day in the life. This is your Thursday show in the life of the 2020 election. I was listening to some uh, really good debates lately with the Libertarian candidates. One of them was on the Lions of Liberty podcast. You guys might listen to that one. And Mark Clare is the person that runs that one. And uh, they have three shows. But anyway... uh, so they do three shows a week, but one of them this week was a libertarian debate, and it had several candidates that were on there, and I just was listening to it, and I was thinking to myself, wow, these people, um, it's a diverse group, not really, I mean, there's people that are going towards the, let's be as pure as possible libertarians, down to the people that are a little bit more pragmatic, and you guys know this, I tend to go with the people that I tend to like people that are a little bit more pragmatic in some ways, and there's a good argument to be made on both sides, though. You do want to educate people, and one of the philosophies of the Libertarian Party from the beginning was to be an educational party, one that would educate people towards liberty, educate people in a way that would uh, lead towards more libertarian ideals being embraced by people, and maybe, hopefully, down the road, embraced by politicians, and... But it is, a, it is a political party, so obviously they should do political things like run people that can get votes, run people that are going to gather more votes than last time, look to grow the party, look to grow the audience, look to grow the national footprint, and also look to grow the down-ballot candidate group, right? So, for example, you have a a presidential candidate running. They are going to get lots of publicity on the national stage, especially somebody like a Gary Johnson who ran in 2012 and also in 2016. He got a lot of um, publicity. Some of it was good, a lot of it was bad, especially after the Aleppo moment and then like holding his tongue while having an interview with a reporter. But he's doing interview after interview after interview on the national stage, going state to state doing interviews and also getting onto the national uh, news as well with CNN, CNN, MSNBC, uh, doing a libertarian presidential debate on John Stossel's show on Fox News uh, or Fox Business News and even getting onto different uh, Fox News channels and so forth. Even, I think he was even on one of the, or a couple of the morning shows. So the Libertarian candidate has the ability to get to that point where he can, he or she can make a pretty big presence on the national stage. And that does nothing but help the down-ballot candidates. And that's something that they should be doing. They should be going to those candidates and going out there with them and campaigning with them in their local cities, local states, and so forth, and knocking on doors and helping those candidates really get the message out there, because that's really where the impact of the Libertarian Party is going to be, is at the local level and getting politicians 
into office that are going to stand for liberty. Maybe they're not the ideal libertarian. Maybe they're not the, you know, have all those same libertarians views as you, but they're running on on the libertarian ticket. And whether they're purebred libertarian that doesn't believe in government or libertarian that just wants to limit government, at least we have people that are going to be running in that sense. And that's what I that's what I agree with. We're at a point in this world where it doesn't matter how pure libertarian you are or how pure your stance is. It really matters where we're at today, which is a totalitarian government in some way. We're in a government right now where you have governors that are shutting down states. You have governors that are trampling on the rights of individuals, human rights, rights that should not be trampled on, rights that you own because of the fact that you're alive. So why are we so worried about who's the most pure? That's the, that's the argument to be made on that side. On the other hand, I can see that Jacob Hornberger's uh, message of being, we need to be pure, we need to stand up for liberty in all ways, and maybe people will come to that message. But there are groups that stand up for that message already. There are groups that are out there. Does the Libertarian Party need to be just another group? Another think tank that has a pure message of liberty? There's lots of think tanks out there where this is a, it's a, it's a political party, so it needs to be a political organization that is going to try to get people onto the ballot, get ballot access in all 50 states, and get down ballot votes for state and local politicians that are going to run libertarian. So that is my stance on the pragmatic side of things. Now, are we going to draw more people in by having some sort of idealistic view, some sort of, um, you know, we're the I think Jacob Hornberger's message is specifically, we're the party of principle. So are we going to be focused on the principle of being a libertarian so much? Is that really going to draw people in? I don't know that that is a message that that's the the case. And the reason why I say that, and don't get me wrong, I'm a principled libertarian. And I'm one who stands on principle as well. But on the national stage, I think most people are saying... Do we want a Joe Biden to be president? And we do do we want a Donald Trump to be president? You know? And is there a viable third option? Probably not. But does that person make sense when they talk? Is that somebody who I would vote for? Is that an option for a third person, a third party to vote for? And if the libertarians can say that and run a relatively principled libertarian, more principled than Gary Johnson. Let's just say that. Gary Johnson, I think in his personal views, he's very much a libertarian from the standpoint of a, uh, what would you say, like an Ayn Rand type libertarian, or an Ayn Rand type libertarian, I guess, is what you would say. Somebody who thinks that, you know, there is virtue in small government and limited government, but then again, doesn't understand all of the technical principles of being a libertarian when it comes to like the non-aggression principle and minarchism versus anarchism and different things like that does that really is that is that really going to play out on a national stage though no that becomes something that's more of a sideshow oh you're an anarchist huh and then they take you from there or oh you want to end the cia and the fbi and get rid of the department of education huh and then it becomes a sideshow there when you can really stand on the principles of I am for limited government. If that's where your principle is at, I think that's a good place to start, especially on the national stage, because I think a lot of people are open to the fact, the idea of just limited government. So I'm not sure where I stand between all of these candidates. There's one lady, Joe, uh, 
man, I can't remember her name. I'm, I'm sorry. Her, I'll have to look that up for you guys to see. Uh, but her name was, well, let me go ahead and look it up. Yeah, that was it. Her name was Joe Jorgensen, and she was in one of the debates that I watched. She's actually been in several debates that I watched, and she seems relatively pragmatic in the ways that she looks at things. She's a, a lecturing professor at the University of uh, or Clemson University, which is in South Carolina, uh, which is the state that I live in. Uh, so listening to her talk, I was like, wow, she's very well spoken. She understands the ideas of liberty. She's been a libertarian since like 1979, and she also ran with Joe or uh, Harry Brown in 1996, which is a pretty huge campaign. That was one of the best uh, campaigns that was run. Harry Brown was really a ex- exceptional speaker for the liberty libertarian movement. And if you ever read his books, you'll understand that. He was one of those people that believes in uh, just living the libertarian lifestyle and living liberty and being free in your life without depending upon the government in the first place. And she uh, definitely is somebody that I guess is known in the libertarian movement for a long time. And uh, she has the credentials for sure. And I, I was wa- listening to her speak, and she's a pragmatic libertarian, but she understands liberty. She understands human freedom. She's more. She's not going to be the person that's going to go tear down all a government like Adam Kokesh would. Um, she's not somebody who is just trying to. She doesn't sound like her messages to run to try to be an educational campaign. Her message is a viable option for somebody to, to vote for, other than. Donald Trump and uh, and uh, Joe Biden. So here she is, uh, you know, being a female. That could be an interesting thing to have a female running on the Libertarian ticket as well. Um, it'll, we'll see. It, it's interesting. There's also this other gentleman that's like a judge that was that I was listening as well, and he, I don't know, I don't really like some of his views. Um, he is one. He was kind of for a rever- a negative income tax and so forth, and I kind of shy away from that because it seems like a big government program in the first place. But she seemed like the best option for like the pragmatic view. Then you have the joke candidate, um, Vermin Supreme, which you know he's an interesting character. And I said this in the past. I was kind of worried about him if he was the person that became the nominee. But listening to him talk, he is definitely has the credentials of libertarian. Um, he's an anarchist, but he doesn't really focus on the anarchism when he's talking. He focuses a lot on the liberated government stuff, but also he focuses on the idea that you can draw people to the libertarian movement with the joke candidate. Being in on the joke is what he calls it, right? And uh, I think that's a good campaign to run, but I don't know if it's a good campaign from the national standpoint to run for the president because that's just someone that's trying to bring more people to the libertarian movement in some way rather than trying to win a campaign i think that the libertarians should be focused in on the idea of hey we can be a viable third option let's grow this movement that way but that's just my opinion i'm a i'm a in the in the libertarian party i'm a member of the libertarian party but i am not somebody that's going to be going and voting for any of these people anyway so it doesn't even matter I wasn't going to be going to the convention. I'm not some. I'm not a delegate from South Carolina, so it doesn't matter what I think. It really matters what they think. And uh, there was some interesting candidates. But that, to me, that was interesting. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about those candidates as well, uh, or today, just because that is something that I've been focusing in on is the candidates in the Libertarian Party. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it's going to be this week or next that they're going to be doing the electronic voting. And that's going to be the first time that a party has done electronic voting to choose their candidate. And 
hopefully we get somebody that is going to stand on principles of liberty, of course, and all of them will. Listening to them all talk, they are all principled libertarians. And I've always said this, and uh, we're all on that bus. We're all moving towards liberty. Let's turn the bus that we're on right now that is not moving towards liberty whatsoever. So our goal is to get in charge of that bus in some way through down-ballot access, through down-ballot candidates, and then it's not like we're going to be running somebody that's going to win the presidency, but also getting that message out there that, hey, we can be a third option that is going to be a principled, limited government party and then move forward that way and get that bus moving towards liberty. It's a matter, it's like a football field. We're trying to get first downs. We're trying to get little small wins. We're trying to get one yard at a time if we need to. And if we could just do that in the Libertarian Party, that would be great. Um, one thing I want to talk about as well, I was talking about the contact tracing the other day. And the contact tracing is there's this $100 billion bill that's going through Congress. And they have $100 billion of that $3 trillion bill that's going through Congress. It was passed by Congress and supposed to sit on the Senate's desk is for contact tracing. $100 billion for contact tracing. And I guarantee you that down the road, it'll be money that's going to Google and Apple for their little app that's going to use to communicate and let like local, uh, local authorities know who's been in contact with who and so forth so they can come to your house and, and lock you down in some way. I don't know if it's going to be that extreme, but you know what? It's a step in that direction. And what I say is this. I just heard this the other day, is that a few municipalities already and a few states already have signed these 24-month contracts with employment agencies and employ- or employment companies that are going to uh, create these, or these uh, contact tracing companies, right? They've already signed these deals, 24-month contract to do the contract tracing, or contact tracing for coronavirus, a 24-month contract. So let's say I've heard in Texas they're going to hire like 4,000 people, maybe 5,000 people to do it. I think there's 27,000, maybe 30,000 people that are going to do it nationwide, and it'll probably grow from there for 24 months, guys. 24 months of your um, privacy gone. 24 months of people knocking on your door and telling you, hey, you've been in contact with somebody that has covid Take this swab right now, and if you don't, then you're going to have to stay home, and we're going to make sure of it. We're going to put you on a list. 24 months of that. And then I say this, is there going to be mission creep? You know, you know this with government agencies, with government anything, there's mission creep. Those budgets go up a little bit every year. They look to do more stuff every year. Oh, wait, not only are we going to look for COVID, we're going to attract people that have the flu as well. After 24 months, oh, we need to extend this because, you know, it's worked so well for the flu. Look how many lives we've saved for the flu. Then that mission creep goes even further and further for the cold, for this and for that. And then it becomes a government program that is always there. Once a government program is established, it's going to be there indefinitely. It doesn't go away. Oh, we can't give up these 40,000 jobs, these 50,000 jobs of contact tracers. we got to make sure that they stay employed. And we got to give them something to do, so let's just have them spy on the people. 
Let's just have them do all this stuff. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. The mission creep. It happens in everything with government. I mean, the, the most talked about place is the mission creep that happens within the CIA, the, the CIA, the FBI, and also like the military invasions in Iraq, Afghanistan, and so forth. The mission creep. They not only, not only invade Iraq, but now they're able to go into Syria. The mission creep. Now they're doing little things in Pakistan. That's the mission creep. Now... They're not only in Saudi Arabia, but they're also helping them invade Yemen and bomb Yemen. The mission creep. The mission creep will happen with these contact tracing companies, these contact tracing bureaucracies that they're going to be creating in every single state. And it's going to lead to less privacy on your part, and that's kind of scary if you ask me. It would probably be a good thing for you to start reaching out to your local politicians and your state politicians and your governors and so forth and not put up with that, okay? This is a virus. Yes, people die from it. Yes, people die from the flu all the time. Have we taken away that many liberties because of the flu ever? Have we ever gone down this road before? Absolutely not. You need to be careful, okay? Careful. This is all creating, this is the last topic that I want to talk about, was moral hazard. The moral hazard. You know what moral hazard is? It's this. Um, when, for example, you ever hear about a parent who gives their child money knowing that they're going to go buy drugs, right? Because they want to take care of them because they want to help them because the, the child begs for stuff. So you give them the money that they need. Oh, I'm going to use it for food. But they go out and buy crystal meth with it or whatever. They're... The idea that you're going to continue to help somebody that's hurting themselves. That's moral hazard on that, on that level. Now think about it from a business standpoint. Think about it back in 2007 when Chevy, Chrysler, and Ford went to Congress. And they drove their electric vehicles there to show Congress that they're serious about taking out the... Uh, or getting electric cars on the road... And all that. Look at it. Or you know, twelve years later, and hardly any electrical cars come out of uh, coming out of Detroit as it is. But anyway, they drive their electric cars there, and then they beg for some money to get bailed out. The moral hazard there is they did not reform their company that was losing money. So down the road, they continue to make bad decisions with their business, with their business model. They didn't suffer the real, true consequences of bad actions from a corporate standpoint so congress comes in and bails them out and that's a moral hazard it creates moral hazard aig making bad loans and bad investments in their uh in their portfolio and they get bailed out that causes a moral hazard down the road the invest the investors and the people that are in charge of that company they do not make wise decisions they you know they were bailed out from bad decisions that they made that's moral hazard. So think about the moral hazards that are going on right now with this three these three trillion dollar bills. First, moral hazard number one. From a corporate level, you have the airlines. They've everyone knows that they've been losing money here and there, right? They've been cutting costs, they've been cutting this, they've been giving you less and less service. There's not a competitive industry. It's not an industry. 
that is attempting to serve you. They're cutting things, they're doing this, they're doing that in order to give you less and less service and just get you to where you're going. They stopped allowing you to have bags on on the airplanes and now they're even starting to charge you now for getting like a better seat or a you know first person onto the seat onto the airplane so you could put your bags up a, up on top all this stuff and now the airlines are coming to the government for bailouts they've been not only the 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 things that they're doing is instead of taking the money that they make and you know saving it for a rainy day what do the corporations do what do the airlines do they buy back stocks so they have a lot of equity in their company they've been doing stock buybacks for the last 10 12 years now but what they end up doing instead of saving that money they buy back the stocks they increase shareholder wealth they increase the value of the shares and then when things go bad, instead of selling some of those stocks, instead of liquidating some of the assets, instead of doing that, they go to Congress and ask them for money for a bailout for $50 billion. For $50 billion. And they get it. Creates moral hazard. They're not paying for their sin. They're not paying for the bad things that they're doing. So down the road, what they do, later on what they'll do is continue to do the bad thing do the stock buybacks not save for a rainy day expect the taxpayer to be their insurance policy rather than having insurance policy we're too big to fail congress bail us out not letting bankruptcies happen not letting the normal business cycle happen you're not serving your customer properly up to par you're not competing customers stop doing business with you they go away then you ask for a bailout. That's the challenge. Then you ask for the government to bail you out or ask for the government to limit the number of competitors that get into your industry and so forth. Causes a moral hazard. They're going to start doing bad things. They're going to start, and other companies are going to see this as well. Other banks are going to see this. Other larger corporations are going to see this. Walmart's going to see this. They're going to make bad decisions with their money as well, knowing that the government will bail them out. It'll be interesting to see going forward with all these bailouts what happens because everyone's going to the government looking for some sort of cash back to them because of the situation that we're in now. Yes, the situation is bad. But they should have saved for a rainy day. And if they knew they weren't going to get bailed out, if they knew there was no option to ever get bailed out, they would have had to because that would have, the, the shareholders would have demanded it. But now they know they they know that they can socialize the costs or socialize the loss. Sorry, they can socialize the losses, and they could keep the profits. It's the moral hazard. The country is becoming more and more fascist each day because of that. More socialist each day because of that. When the when you merge corporations and in, in the in the and the government. That's nothing but fascism or socialism leading to communism in some ways. That's the challenge. Individuals. Individuals have moral hazard as well in what's happening today. We're a country that is not safe for a rainy day, guys. We don't, I mean, people have, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and that might be the system that we live under. That might be the fact that we all go out and spend our money, but you know what? It doesn't pay to save Credit's so easy. People think, hey, I'm just going to go spend, get everything on credit and so forth. 
that all is caused by the easy money policies of the Federal Reserve for the last, you know, 50 to 100 years and so forth, that we've become a consumer society, but also that we've become a borrowing society. And that causes moral hazard as well. We don't save for rainy day. So when the rainy day happens, what do we do? We look to government to help us out. And then we depend upon that if anything ever happens again. And down the road, more bad things will happen. Bigger bubbles will pop. We'll keep our hands out looking for more money. Savings will be destroyed because the government will gladly print that money. Interesting, right? And now, even on top of that, you have the states and the local municipalities that are in a situation with of moral hazard. They've been borrowing for years, borrowing and borrowing, just taking it like selling these bonds, building up these big stadiums in their towns, building up these dice downtown areas, taking just so much money in and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. And now a rainy day happens. They can't afford to make the payments. They can't afford to make the service their debt. They can't afford to keep their states open in some ways. I mean, New York is so it has a huge deficit right now. They're begging for a bailout. You have Massachusetts, you have California, these states that are begging for a bailout from the federal government right now. And the federal government will bail them out and they'll keep on doing the bad things that they're doing. They'll keep on running deficits. They'll keep on promising more than they can deliver in order to appease the voters, appease the people. Those politicians are not going to see the actions that they the actions that they've taken they're not going to be suffering the consequences of the actions that they've taken and if they if they do end up having to suffer the action the, the consequences of those actions it'll be losing their seat or losing their you know elected office but then someone else will come in there and know that they're going to get bailed out down the road as well we're in a situation of terrible moral hazard right now states local municipalities, individuals, businesses, corporations. And you and I are going to pay for it. Our children, not even us, not even you and I. It's going to be our children and our grandchildren that pay for it. It's going to be them that have to suffer to have less wealth, to have a lower standard of living than you and I had. Because we want to spend all this money now. Three trillion dollars. I hear, I see this meme out there. And it's like, they're going to spend three trillion dollars. And if we all got an equal part of that, it would be $26,000 per family. And they should do that. But now they're just going to give us 1200 bucks, and they're going to send, uh, they're going to give us 1200 bucks, and they're going to send the rest of the corporations. And they say, you know, that's a little bit and whatever. But if the government gave you $26,000, it still goes on to the national debt, guys. It does. And it still causes inflation. I don't want any of that money. I don't, want, I don't think any of that money should go out to anybody. Corporations, businesses, small business owners, whatever. Open the economy. Let things get back to normal. But they don't need to send us $3 trillion out there. I don't care about that $1,200 check, whatever. It's not going to help me in the, in the grand scheme of things. It's not going to change my life. It's not going to save my house. It's not going to save most people's lives or anything like that. 
That's just the cost associated with you shutting your mouth and not questioning the other two and a half trillion dollars that's being spent. I've said that in the past. But it's all going to be put onto the debt. It's going to have to be paid back at some point. And it won't be paid through the government stroking a $26 trillion check to pay off the national debt. That's not going to happen. I mean, I did the math earlier today. The gross domestic product, and what that means is all of the end products that are created and sold, right, is like 2.6, or excuse me, 20. $1.6 trillion, and we have like a $24 trillion national debt. So if the government took all of the revenue of all everything that was produced in America and took all of that revenue, you didn't get paid nothing. All of the revenue. It would not cover the entire national debt. They'd still have $3 trillion left to pay off. And that's if they took all of the revenue. That means every business invested, you know, let's say... Let's say my company, I spent I spent a million dollars investing in new products to sell, and I sold those for two million dollars. Or I made, you know, I, I so excuse me, let me say it differently. I took two million dollars and I invested into my or a million dollars and I invested into my company to make stuff, and I sold those products for two million dollars. Then the government took that two million dollars right from me. So all of my investment is gone, as well as the profits that I made. All of that. That would be the gross domestic product of every single company out there and they take it and they take all of that so all the savings all of the investments are gone government takes it all you wouldn't even cover the national debt the gross domestic product of the united states does not even cover the national debt right now for a year it would take one and a half or one and a quarter years if they took all of that stuff but no companies can really give up all of their revenue because they need to pay their employees they need to pay for the the debts and stuff like that for the loans they took out to produce the products and so forth so let's say they said you know at the end of the day we'll just take all the profits from every single company in america all of the profit in total they all the corporations in america profit right around 2.2 trillion dollars 2.2 trillion dollars is the total profit that these companies take in. So it would take 12 years to pay off the national debt. And that's assuming that these companies are able to give all of their profit away and not make any profit and still stay in business for 12, for 12 years. And that wouldn't happen. That's interesting, right? But the politicians, they'll continue to sit there and spend, spend, spend. They don't care. Because it doesn't affect them. But our children are going to pay for that stuff. This $3 trillion stimulus check, stimulus payment, that is the government socializing the cost of bad decisions of these companies, not saving a rating day, and we're going to have to pay for it down the road. They borrow it. They print the money. So if they print, if the government prints the money then it's your savings that is being destroyed because that's going to cause monetary inflation. But if they borrow the money, they're still going to spend it. That's going to cause a little bit of inflation as well. But eventually that money has to be paid back somehow. That $24 trillion has to be paid back somehow. It just keeps on building up. That's true. But some of it has to be paid back. It has to be serviced. 
And in the end, our children and our grandchildren are going to suffer. They're going to have less wealth. They're going to have a lower standard of living than you and I do. And that's it. Sad to say it, guys. Sad to say it. But hey, uh, I appreciate you hanging with me. This is your Thursday show. Uh, I am going to be out of town on Monday. It's Labor Day, or it's uh, Memorial Day weekend. I'm going down to Daytona Beach, and I'll be there hanging out uh, with my family. We've got another family going down there with us as well. I'll be there Friday until Monday, so I'm not going to be having a Monday show. Um, so keep an eye out for maybe early next week. I'll probably do a show, though, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday or something, then I'll try to do like a Thursday and Friday show as well. Uh, but it won't be on Monday, but you'll probably be hanging out at the beach as well. All of us, were, we've been stuck at home for two months. We've been uh, not be able to do things. I, I even had to cancel my Florida Keys spring break trip in April which I was really excited about. We had a place right on the water, staring at the Atlantic side of one of the keys, staring at the water. Uh, go out on the back porch. There's a swimming pool. We had a dock. We were going to rent a boat. We we're going to hang out. We we're going to have a good time. I had to cancel that. We're going to be going back next April. So uh, this is going to be our first time as a family getting out to go to the beach. Uh, Florida beaches are open, I think. The hotel we're staying at. It's a nice little resort as well there in Daytona Beach. So uh, hopefully we'll enjoy, I'll, I'll enjoy that. Um, I know I'll enjoy that because I always do. Give me some cocktails and I'll have a good time no matter what. So uh, y'all enjoy your Memorial Day weekend as well. And uh, come on back next week though, all right? I'll get a, show, I'll get a couple shows out for you for sure. And then uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully this coronavirus thing, life starts getting back to normal uh, they're saying by June, thing, you know, the, the death rate's going to be weighed down as well. That'll be good. And uh, you know what? We just want our lives back. I mean, we want human freedom. That's what I am fighting for. That's what a lot of people are fighting for as well. And the American people are starting to wake up and seeing it too, man. They really are. So I'm glad about that. But hey, check me out. Iontheempire.com. I've been posting a lot of articles there as well as writing a few of my own little articles. So uh, take a look at those as well as I on the Empire on Facebook and on Twitter. You can do that. Ray at I on the Empire is my email address. You can email me there. You can also message me through Facebook uh, on the uh, I on the Empire page. And then five-star ratings and reviews are helpful. I always ask for those as well, especially through like Apple. That's going to help me to get the show out there because I want to grow the audience continuously. So share it with your friends as well if you can. And then come on back next week and you'll have clear vision for 2020.